Let's pray. Jesus, we worship you as our risen Savior. We thank you and praise you as we acknowledge that you live and that you love us. Thank you for calling us into a relationship with you. Now I pray that we would take to heart what you've laid upon my heart to share with the congregation this Advent season. And I thank you for this time of year where we can, quite frankly, refocus off of the consumerism of this world and refocus on you. I know it's a a cliche and it's, it's really kind of cheesy, but it's true that you are the reason for this season. And I surrender to you, and I ask you to speak through me and empower me for that very purpose. To encourage the body here this morning, the very body of Jesus Christ. And only in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. I'd like you to get your Bibles out and turn to Daniel chapter 9. As we begin a new sermon series uh, this Advent season entitled, Are You Prepared for His Coming? A little bit of a pastor's perspective. Can you imagine having to preach on the same topics, basically, every year at this time of year? How fresh can you make Advent? You know, do a series on hope and faith and love and all that and Advent candles and so on. This particular sermon series began with me uh, reading in Matthew chapter 3 where um, I was just particularly struck by the idea of when John the Baptist came, and of course even when Jesus as well, and he first began to preach. Do you remember what he, he said? Remember, he was in the wilderness for all those years of his life. He comes out and he begins preaching. And what does he preach? Repent, for the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I was just struck by the word repent, because basically what he is saying here, and we'll touch on this more next week or so, but what you're doing now, the life that you are living, it's not good enough. You need to change, because what you're doing is wrong. Thus, you need to repent. And I know that when you talk about Advent, it gives us or affords us the opportunity to put into practice um, what really John was preaching. And why was John preaching repentance? Because the kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven was at hand. For many people, this would be their first experience with the Messiah, his first coming. In the same way here, we get to celebrate and remember and prepare for His first coming. And what is it that we need to do? Well, according to John, and even the same message from Jesus, is what? Repent. And so I was contemplating and meditating and praying uh, through all of this, 
and I began working on this sermon for repentance, and then on Thursday morning, it just dawned on me that there is another spiritual concept tied to repentance. And it kind of is with it, but kind of comes before it. Which is what? In other words, you can't repent until what? You know what your sin is, right? And so what must you do with that sin? And it's closely tied to repentance is what? Confession. And so that's the sermon this morning. It's about confession. And a different kind of confession. We're not talking about confession to a priest, but in Daniel chapter 9, we have a kind of a model prayer of confession. So I'm going to read Daniel chapter 9, verses 1. Actually, no, I'm not going to do that because we're going to go through it enough. But Daniel 9, 1 through 23, as we look at this. Daniel 9, 1 through 23. Now, we'll go through this in the sermon, but before I even go through and break down this model prayer of confession... I want to say this about confession. I believe it has fallen on hard times in the Protestant church. Whether it's a, uh, even a, a mainline liberal church, even a conservative evangelical church. It has fallen on hard times. And I think confession has fallen on hard times because it, it, the Protestant church was born out of what? The Holy Catholic Church. The church began as the Holy Catholic Church. It, got corrupt and became what we know of as the Catholic Church. Many of us here have a Catholic background and have been delivered out of that that false religion. But um, with Catholicism, confession is very important because you are confessing to who? A priest? Absolutely. And so... Moving away from that, and there's no necessary scriptural evidence to do that, um, it kind of got thrown by the wayside in one sense, this practice of confession. And it actually is a spiritual discipline, a confession. But it's fallen on hard times, and so we're going to revisit that, perhaps in a way that's different. I mean, we know, you've heard me say before, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just, will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. You've heard that before. What we're going to read in this story here is that, but much, much more. Before we do some background information, as we look at Daniel the man, my guess is that you've probably never or have may not recall who Daniel is or was and so on. And so we're going to give you a brief introduction to the prophet, the statesman, uh, Daniel. Daniel was, of course, uh, a, a, a youth or a, a teenager at the time of the fall of Judah in Jerusalem. And he was taken into captivity uh, by the Babylonians, who were called the Chaldeans. And he was ushered over into a foreign country. And he was trained along with his three of his friends. And they were, of course, who? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Okay? Those were not their real names. Okay? Daniel's name, when, whenever you were a conquering kingdom, would take in captivity, they would 
retrain your mind. And they would give you new names, new names to kind of get you involved in their culture, some cultural conditioning. And Daniel's name was turned into, changed to who? Belteshazzar. And the other names were, were, trained, were, were, were changed too. And they were named after their foreign gods. But Daniel was a very, very um, different kind of man, even for all of this world. I'll say this once and I'll say it again. There is nothing bad said about Daniel in the Bible. Did you know that? Was there anything negative or bad said about Moses in the Bible? How about Joshua? Yes. How about Joseph? Kind of, but, you know, be picky, but yes. How about Peter? Yes. Paul? I mean, I'm listing some pretty big Abraham, Moses. I mean, all these guys, there was something bad said about them. There's nothing bad said about Daniel. So who is Daniel the man? Well, first of all, and you can just listen here, the first point you want to write down is he was holy. The story goes, when he was deported over into Babylon, they were given, remember, choice foods, and they were trained in the ways of the Chaldeans. Daniel 1.8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. And Daniel was holy. There was a deep commitment to holiness. Daniel 1.17 tells us that Daniel was, by the design of God and God's blessing, highly intelligent and prophetic. It says, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. I actually would pray this for my kids. You remember this? God, grant them understanding from their teachers. By doing that, what am I praying? Where does the understanding come from? It goes from God. And we take that for granted. And Daniel, as mentioned, had also understanding in all visions and dreams. So he was the intelligence, the, 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 the gifting, it came from God. For God's purposes, as you know through the story of Daniel. Daniel was very wise. Daniel 2.14, at the time that he and all the other wise men were going to be uh, executed. Daniel 2.14 says this, Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. And at a young age, he, was, he had wisdom beyond his years. Daniel was also a reputable man. He had a good reputation with outsiders. Just listen to Daniel 5, 10 through 12. This is when the, remember the writing on the wall that appeared in that story? This is in, what is said about Daniel during that particular instance in Babylon. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banqueting hall, and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you, or your color change. In other words, he, is, he lost all life because of what had happened with this invisible hand writing on the wall. There is a man in your kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. In the days of your father, meaning Nebuchadnezzar, light and understanding and wisdom like the wisdom of the gods were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians, enchanters, Chaldeans, and astrologers. Because an excellent spirit, knowledge, and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles, and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. 
Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. So Daniel was a reputable man. He was also distinguished, Daniel 6.3. Then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. So this reputation, this distinguished that came from God was given to Daniel. That was in reference to the Daniel in the lion's den, that story. He was also faithful and blameless, Daniel 6, 4 and 5. Then the presidents and the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. So we're looking at a holy person, highly intelligent, blessed by God. He's wise. He is reputable. He's distinguished. He is faithful. He is blameless. And it makes sense that he would be a man of prayer. Daniel 6, 10 through 11. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed. Remember, this is him being thrown the lines in and how the deception went on with behind the other uh, wise men. When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, meaning he couldn't pray to any other gods, he went down to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I mean, this was a man that was a cut above typical spirituality. He was also known as a servant of God, Daniel 6.20. This is the king, a different king now, not King Nebuchadnezzar, but a different king. Says this, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? That's what they thought of Daniel. In that pagan environment, he faithfully served his God and was known as a servant of God. He's a man of faith. When he was taken up out of the lion's den, this is his response. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no kind of harm was found on him. Why? Because he had trusted in his God. All of that, this last point makes perfect sense about Daniel. And that is, he was greatly loved by God. Daniel 9.23 At the beginning of your pleas, this is Gabriel speaking to him, at the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. So that is Daniel. Again, he is holy. He's intelligent. Intelligence coming from God. He is wise. He's reputable. He's distinguished. He's faithful and blameless. He's a man of prayer, a servant of God, a man of faith. He is greatly loved by God. You need to understand that, that nothing bad was said about Daniel in the Bible. Because when you read Daniel chapter 9 you would think differently. Again, this is a model prayer of confession. But what did Daniel need to confess? Let's take a look at that. In this prayer, we are going to see the elements that characterize true confession and repentance. And really, that is the purpose of this sermon, is to educate us on what true confession is, so that this week... As you prepare for the coming of our Messiah, you can confess. 
there are a number of characteristics that are demonstrated to us in this prayer. And they're characteristics of true confession. The first point is this, and these are all things that you can write down if you want to, is that confession starts with the study of God's word. Look at Daniel chapter 9, verse 2. It says, In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that, according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet, must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely, 70 years. And let me just say something here as I just thought of this. Every week I find a Bible in church. Now, I'm not saying that to condemn anybody. I'm assuming that you have other Bibles at your home that we freely have available to us, especially since the invention of what? The printing press, books particularly, Bibles. This was not the case back then. And yet, Daniel, somehow, I'm assuming it was brought over from the deportation. He kept books, which would have probably been maybe the Torah, or obviously the writings of, of, obviously we know here it was Jeremiah the prophet. He kept those. And it was born out of his study of the word of God what was about to take place, namely that the captivity would end in 70 years. Daniel was probably 67 years old at the time, or maybe closer to 80, well, actually 80 years old at the time that this was written, meaning that he was probably 13 years old when he was deported, so it was roughly 67 years into the 70 years. So he was able to perceive, again, through his study of the Word of God, what God was about to do. And confession starts with, at that point, knowing the word of God. Because you are to know, as you may recall from last Wednesday night, before you do. You will never know God's standards until you study the Bible. You will never know how sinful you are. You will never know what sin is. You will never know God and his holy standards until you study the word of God. It's through Daniel's faithful study of the scriptures, they learned that God intended the captivity of his people to be remedial. That the end, that, uh, that this remedial lesson was to the end that the proper kind of confession of sin could result in the captivity ending in the blessing of God being restored. But very clearly we see that he learned, first and foremost, from his faithful study of the Word of God. Number two, and this is, I think, the most convicting point of it all, is that confession is characterized not only by the study of God's Word, that's where it begins, but it's characterized by intensity. Look at verse 3 of Daniel 9. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth, in ashes. Now, literally, the Hebrew text reads, I set my face towards the Lord God. So there's a sense of resoluteness here, and that's the point. This is not some flippant confession. This is very intentional. And the intensity is marked, we know this, by his actions. The actions of prayers and pleas. 
which basically means that he was begging, entreating, or pleading for mercy. And it was further intensified by his actions of fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And folks, fasting wasn't something that Daniel did here in order to gain something. It was something that you do because you simply aren't hungry. Because you're so overwhelmed with what? Your sin. So deeply concerned about his sin was Daniel that he couldn't eat. Again, sackcloth and ashes, in case you didn't know, that just was a customary expression of deep concern, genuine brokenness, contrition. It was heaping upon oneself the dirt and the ashes that were symbolic of one's own worthless, wasted character. So deeply concerned about his sin and wanting to manifest his ugliness before God, he covered himself with sackcloth. It's the kind of cloth that you make flower bags out of and ashes. All of these actions stress the depth of his intensity in confessing sin. Now, one of the ways that we often learn best is through contrast. Remember this confession of Daniel, but listen to the words of Jesus about the Pharisee in Luke 18. This is a Pharisee speaking. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. I mean, you sense a real difference in confession here, don't you? between Daniel and this Pharisee. It's really kind of simple. There is no true confession of sin while self-righteousness remains. In the end, that confession will always be hollow. Now, there are those who treat their confession casually, and you'll be deemed to have treated your sin casually. And we all suffer with this in the intensity of of our confession because we all do this is that we have a certain sin that we struggle with. And what do we do? We know it's sin and we we choose the sin because we love the wrong and we confess the sin. Right. And we determine to do better only to do what? Sin again. And so we what? No, we need to do this. Confess the sin. Feel bad about ourselves. And the guilt and the shame. Then what happens? That feeling goes away because we confess the sin. But good for a while, what happens again? Sin, confess, repent. First of all, if you're caught in that cycle as we all, let's be honest with each other, either have done it or are currently in it or will do it, let's just be real here. You haven't really repented of that sin. Because repentance, as we'll learn, is far more than just feeling bad about yourself because of your sin. If you can pass your confession through your lips with little attitude of remorse and little intensity, then that's the way you view your sin in truth. But the kind of confession and brokenness that God is seeking 
There's that which is manifest by a sense of just being overwhelmed by one's own sin. Daniel represents the best of men. Can you, can it be said of you all of the things that were said of Daniel? But Daniel, who represents the best of men, sees himself as the worst of men. And so in despair is he over his sin that he cannot even eat. Confession is characterized by intensity. Number three, confession is characterized by humility. Verse four of Daniel nine. So I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Again, I said this before, I'll say it again, there's no place for self-righteousness in confession. All of that is abandoned in true confession. See, Daniel lays the axe at the root of the tree of his own pride. The phrase, I prayed the Lord my God and made confession, that means that the intent of the scripture here is that this was an ongoing confession. It was a lifestyle. Daniel had every reason to think he was better than the rest of Israel. And the fact of the matter was, he was better than everybody else. From the standpoint of virtue. But the way he saw himself was not so. True confession, it makes no overestimation of itself, but is cloaked in humility. I found this quote by a Puritan that I've prayed something similar to this, and it's just a great quote. Give me a deeper repentance, a horror of sin, a dread of its approach. Help me chastely to flee it, and jealously to resolve that my heart shall be thine alone. Flow deep in me, great Lord. Heavenly husband, that my being may be a tilled field. The roots of grace spreading far and wide until thou alone art seen in me. The beauty golden like summer harvest, thy fruitfulness as autumn plenty. Give me a hatred of sin. Help me see sin as you see sin, Heavenly Father. That I may repent of it. Number four. Confession is characterized by identification. This all ties into humility. Look at verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. Born out of humility, it is only natural that true confession identifies with God's people because there's a sense of partnership or solidarity with people. Now, depending upon your translation, I mean your Bible translation, I counted the word we in this prayer of Daniel used 13 times in verses 5 through 18. Daniel's experience is the same of, as Isaiah. Remember Isaiah 6, 5? I said, woe is me, for I am lost. For I am what? A man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, 
my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In this model prayer of confession, Daniel completely identifies with the iniquity or the sin of his people, even though he was not guilty of the sins of the people, the priests, the prophets, the rulers, and the judges. This is the true nature of brokenness. Number five. There's only eight points here on what true confession is. Confession is comprehensive. It takes time. That's the nature of confession. It takes from verse 5, clear down to verse 15, before Daniel gets through his confession. And Daniel actually uses four different Hebrew words to explain his sin. But why would he use four different Hebrew words? Because it's important that the depth of his heart be given expression. He was guilty of it all. He identified with his people. Number six, confession accepts consequences. And this may be the hardest point about confession. Verse 11, all Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. So whatever distress, whatever pain, whatever agony, whatever death, whatever trouble we deserve... It's because we have not dealt with our sins. And here's another characteristic of true confession. It never questions God. It doesn't question his integrity or his justice or his righteousness or his love or his fairness. It simply acknowledges that we are getting exactly what we deserve. And folks, that is not our culture. Number seven, confession is confident in God's forgiveness. See, we do not despair as the pit, as deep as the pit may be. We are not as broken as the heart may be, or as humble as you may be, or as intense in your confession as you may be, because despair does not reign, because we know our God. He is great. He is awesome, he is faithful, and he keeps his covenant. He is full of loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Look at 1 John 1, 9. Remember that? If we confess our sins, what happens? Faithful and just. He will forgive you of, of your sins. He will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Folks, heaven's vault of forgiveness is not empty. For God is righteous and merciful and he longs to forgive. And the final point is that confession is concerned for the glory of God because it's not about you. Look at verses 17 and 19. Now therefore... Now, therefore, O our God, listen to the prayer of your servant 
and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O my God, incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolations in this city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, hear. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. And there it is. O my God, because your city and your people are called by your name. In other words, God had done what with his people at this point in time in history? Delivered them out of Egypt. They walked through the Red Sea. All the signs and wonders that had been spread. The name of God had been glorified. And now what? what's at stake now? The people he saved are where? In captivity again. Whose name is in danger of being defiled? The name of God. So it's about the glory of God. So the motivation behind confession, it's not to save yourself for your own sake because I want to be free of guilt or I want to be free of shame or just so I can feel better about myself. Because let's be honest again with each other, this is why we confess in many ways. I don't like the way I feel and I want to feel better. That's a start, but the real motivation is just the glory of God. So save us for your own reputation. As you show yourself once again to be a God of grace, a God of mercy, a God of forgiveness, and a God of power. That, folks, is the kind of prayer that Daniel prayed. And that, folks, is the kind of prayer for the mercy of God that God answers. God loves people who genuinely and consistently confess their sin. Again, go back to Daniel 9.23. And don't forget this point. Gabriel comes in answer to the prayers of Daniel and says this, At the beginning of your pleas for mercy, a word went out, and I have come to tell it to you, for you are greatly loved. Amen to that. Now, there are two sides to any coin. For our purposes this morning, one side of the coin is confession. The other side of that same coin is repentance. We'll discuss that next week. Until then, remember these eight characteristics of confession that ultimately reflect a heart attitude that should be evident in every believer. Now, when you think of confession, and I don't even know if I went over this as a spiritual discipline, but what I am talking about here is not the, okay, I have sinned and I confess it immediately. There is a very intense, intentional, time-consuming spiritual discipline that Daniel is practicing here. Advent gives us the opportunity to practice that. So what I'm going to ask you to do this week, obviously it's pretty simple. What I want you to do is what? Confess your sins. So I want you to set aside time. 
And I'm not saying like five, ten minutes. Set aside a significant amount of time. Wait upon the Lord. Confess what is brought to your mind. Asking the Holy Spirit to show you your sin. Let me give you an example of how naive I was and quite frankly still am. But I actually, when I was a single man and walking with the Lord, I actually had this thought that in my ministry and what I was, God was doing through me that I wasn't that bad of a person. And then I got married. There were things that came out of my heart that I had no idea that were in there. Guess who knew they were there the whole time? I'm telling you that there are things in your heart even now that you do not know that are there. And allow God to, however painful it may be, to bring that to you. Allow Him to do His work in you so that you... And you may be... This, I struggle with this, I think we all do, is that you maybe just don't feel a sorrow for your sin. You've just accepted it. Of course, we know that godly sorrow is to lead to what? Repentance, because it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. But maybe you're lacking that godly sorrow. Remember the prayer of that Puritan? Give me that a deeper repentance. Give me that horror of your sin. You are probably too comfortable with sin for God's liking. Allow Him to do a work in you this week as you confess. Because I guarantee you, next week you will probably, maybe the next two weeks, depending on how long it takes, how long this sermon gets developed, you will be blown away probably by the concept of repentance. And what it truly means to repent. So take some time this week. Set aside some time. Be intentional. Invite God to do some serious heart surgery. And confess what he brings to your mind. Being confident that God always forgives. Amen? Let's pray as we close with the song this morning. And if you would like prayer... Uh, you can come on up as well. As you know, the routine goes, we will pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this word that you gave me in a short amount of time. We are people that are not familiar with this discipline of, of confession of sin. Yet we are people who are way too familiar with sin. I thank you for the forgiveness that we have only through your Son, Jesus Christ. In fact, it is through confession that I realize that and am reminded that there is no way in my best efforts that I can please you. I always fall short. But I thank you for your love, and I cling to that love, your steadfast, everlasting love your abundant flow of grace and mercy. It never dries up. And I claim that forgiveness. 
and look forward to a deeper fellowship with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.